Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How was the drive home, man, or uh, your second home? Yeah, it wasn't uh, it, w- it wasn't that bad. Okay. It was it was, you know, there was a, a couple of moments. The the little Yorkshire Terrier came with us and yep. he was being a real pain in the ass. He was stepping all over me and he had to insist on sitting on my lap while I was driving and then he's going in the back and he's sitting on the suitcases and it was a little bit annoying in the, in that regard, but I mean, not not that much traffic. That's why I left. That's why I'm here now, right. is because I didn't want to deal with the mass exodus yeah. on Wednesday, uh, which is today, Thanksgiving Eve, and then and then Sunday as well. So, um, but it, I mean, it really, it's it's just so you know how it goes. Oh, man. I know. I mean, it's just yeah. like five hour, six hour drives. Like as much as you want to say that it wasn't that painful, but anything. Anything over four, I think. Or once you start getting to the five-plus area, it yeah. ended up taking us close to six yesterday because we did hit some stuff. And that's when it's just it's, it's just it's maddening. Yeah. You just get you, you get angry and irritated by everybody, <laughs> and then there's all the trucks, and someone cuts you off, and you get angry. Maybe this is just me. I don't know. <laughs> but, no, 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 no. I'm with you. You get to that point where uh, you're saying, when are we going to get there? And you're yeah. just tired of being in the car. You get cabin fever and all that. So I, I'm with you, my man. And I'm going to be taking a flight today, and I know it's going to be crazy. And I'm one to always show up right before they close the door to the to the plane. So I know I'm going to have to be there really early today with the, the mass uh, exodus, as you just uh, described, because it will be crazy at the airport. Yeah, and I'm going to a college football game that matters yeah. on Friday at Heinz Field. And unfortunately for the Pitt Panthers, it's all about the opponent that's going to be in there. But noon kick at Heinz Field as number 3 Miami goes in there. I'll be picking up my tickets in a couple of hours. And I am very fi- I'm fired up for this for a couple of reasons. One, I get to see one of the, the best teams in the country, which is just cool. And now number 2 Miami, obviously, after the rankings last night. Um, but I get to see one of the best teams in the country. And and also, I mean, you you saw that they came out slow, which is probably a sign that it's not going to happen again two weeks in a row, but you never know. You saw Miami come out a little sleepy uh, against Virginia at home. They're on the road. It's a noon kick. I don't expect the crowd to be anything of significance because – the kids leave. I mean, there's some Pittsburgh kids that will go to the game, stick around some students, but you know, generally they're gone for Thanksgiving. Um, and it's a noon kick, so there's that aspect of it. But you remember back with West Virginia, and it was, what, 2007, where they had an opportunity to play for a national championship, yep. and it was the 13-9 game where Pitt knocked right. them off. So there is a history. Uh, this did happen once before. Uh, so we'll see if it does. I'm hoping that it's at least competitive because I don't want to see a 52-3 to result while I'm sitting in there. But I, I do think that they'll they'll be okay, maybe you know close in the first half. And then you know Miami's just too big. They're too talented. They're too quick. They're too confident. 
Um, and, and I think that they'll end up pulling away in the end, much like the Virginia game. Yeah, we'll see if they sleepwalk through the first you know, two or uh, three quarters of this one. They really got going because Virginia uh, you know, made mistakes. They had a fumble when they were rolling, and then they had a pick six. So that really got Miami back into that ball game. If not for that, who knows how it ends up. But you, you, Pitt has to take care of the rock, and Pitt has been playing – more competitively, let's say it that way, here of late. And they uh, should have de- defeated uh, Boston, uh, Virginia Tech, I should say, uh, a week ago. And they've been running the ball a lot better than they were earlier in the year. And so the fact that uh, they've been finding themselves somewhat, although not winning ball games, uh, two and two over the last four, uh, I-, I think Miami should take notice. And, and yeah, it's going to be a different deal. You're playing on a Friday instead of Saturday, you're on the road. It's after the Thanksgiving, so we'll see how they how they handle that. But it is ripe for upset. I would say it would be very ripe for upset, if not for Miami coming out and sleepwalking early in the ballgame last week and then finding their way. So they know they can't do that, especially on the road, or they'll be looking at their first L of the season. But that's cool for you, man. That, uh, that, that's always fun you know, around Thanksgiving and, and the festive time to go to a a college football game, and, and I, I think it'll be a, a cool atmosphere. We'll see how, how many people show up, but I, I would hope a lot of people would want to see the number two team in the nation. Yeah, you you would think, but it it is a pro town here. There is a Steelers home game on Sunday. It's Sunday night. I thought they might flex that up to 4 o'clock because the Packers are terrible. Um, so I mean, we'll see. I, I hope it's a nice crowd. I just I, I don't believe it will be. Uh, do you think that as the fourth quarter starts – that the game will be close enough for me to want to continue to sit outside in what could be a cold day, or will it be out of hand and I will be begging the people around me to leave? Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be, you say it late fourth quarter or early fourth no, quarter? No, start, start of the fourth quarter, am I going to be tugging on the sleeves of the people that I'm with? <laughs> start saying, of the fourth Let's- quarter, you're going to still want to be there. All right, good. There I hope go. so. Listen, man, I hope you're right. I hope um, I am too. <laughs> yeah. Ohio State, Michigan, of course, this weekend. And, you know, I, I don't know with Ohio State. I mean, even the guys, the, the alumni there that we talked to and people who cover the team, people who have watched every snap of them can't figure out why they are so fickle, why they are so up and down, why on some weekends they look like the best team in college football and, and others they look like they don't want to play. Um, but, of course, this is a game where you would expect their best effort from. I mean, this is not a motivation question in this particular ball game. So I do expect a great effort from Ohio State in this game. And, you know, I was thoroughly unimpressed with Michigan against Wisconsin. I understand it's a road game, how big of a deal that was for Wisconsin, and they end up losing Peters and have to go to O'Corn in that game due to injury. Uh, but I just – Michigan does not intimidate me in, in any way, shape, or form. They just they, – they do not, in my mind, have enough on either side of the ball to stack up against the conference's best. And I expect the same type of deal here, but I don't know if you want to go back to the age-old cliche of you know, rivalry games like this. It doesn't matter. You know, you can see the best version of that team because of – this particular match. Well, you Michigan did have a dominant defense for for the 
two and a half quarters there versus Wisconsin last week. Wisconsin didn't even have 100 yards at halftime in that ball game. I think they were right at 98-99. And, and so Michigan's winning 10-7, you know, late into the third quarter, and then everything went awry for them. You had a freshman safety back there. He allows the receiver to get behind him, and that's when Hornybrook throws a, a perfect pass for the touchdown. They go up 14-10, and then it was on from there. Uh, they were able to dispatch of Michigan. And Michigan, early in the ballgame, Brandon Peters, before he's knocked out, you know, he, he throws a pass, which he, he thought was a touchdown. Uh, I think it was Peoples-Jones, and they reviewed it and reviewed it and reviewed it. I thought yeah. the left foot hit before the right foot came down out of bounds. They said it didn't. So then Peters proceeds to fumble right there on the goal line, right. so you get no points. Uh, you know, and, and so there were plays to be made in that ball game. You give them a touchdown. You just give Wisconsin a touchdown on the punt where no one finds the damn ball for your punt coverage team. Nick Nelson returns it for, uh, for Wisconsin's first score. So their defense gave them a chance in that ball game offensively they moved the ball uh, and they just did nothing when they got into the red zone the one or two times they got down there so uh, I think defensively we'll see what they bring to the table versus uh, Ohio State and also what does Ohio State bring to the table because we've seen a schizophrenic Ohio State team here of late and then the last two uh, Illinois last week and Michigan State they looked apart but of course three weeks ago versus Iowa they did not and Brandon Peters does he play in this ball game I initially thought it was a it was a shoulder injury but he had the concussion and so he's in the protocol and and Harbaugh is saying he's it's 50 50 he's going to go if he doesn't go I don't think they have a shot and and not saying they really, they have a very good shot even if he does go, but O'Corn has not proven that he can lead this offense, and of course Wilton, Wilton Spade hasn't either. In year three of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, he should not be a twelve point underdog at home to Ohio State. I'm I mean, with you. They, yeah. they they I'm not saying that they need to be a twelve point favorite, um, but they can, he cannot be a twelve point underdog at home at Ohio uh, against Ohio State, and he is and. Um, we knew that this was was going to happen uh, if things didn't go their way this year, especially in year three. But you know, I, I don't think he, I don't think you're going to start hearing the the hot seat rumors or anything like that. I mean, I think they're going to keep him for a long time. But you know, a win here for Michigan, I, I mean, this is about the most obvious statement of all time. But I mean, it would go such a long way for building this thing in the right direction for Jim Harbaugh and make you feel like there's some real progress happening there. And if they get their doors blown off and lose by two touchdowns, I mean, you're going to be thinking to yourself, what what it really is, what are we yeah. right now? What What is this program? Where are we? And how are we going to get where we want it to be? Because the second that he stepped on campus, everybody thought that here comes the national championship. And I was one of those people. And... You look around, they're not close. No, defensively, they've been there. Uh, whether he had DJ Durkin as his DC, who's now at Maryland, and of course, Don Brown currently. The defense has played incredibly well, and to have nine, ten new starters on that defense this year and still be one of the tops in the nation, hey, I give him credit for that. But offensively, that's where Harbaugh made his name, whether it was at San Diego, uh, University of San Diego, at Stanford, at San Francisco, and now here at Michigan, you haven't seen that consistency on that side of the ball. And so I think there there are going to be folks who start, if not whispering about this, shouting about his lack of production on that side of the ball. He hasn't beaten Urban Meyer, Ohio State. That's why you're brought there to beat Ohio State. And Ohio State's won 12 out of the last 13 
12 of the last mm. 13 versus their rival. I mean, it's just amazing when you talk about one of the storied rivalries. Uh, let me try that again. Storied rivalries in, in all of college football, and, and they've lost now 12 of the last 13. So he has to start earning his cash on that side of the ball offensively, and, and they're just not doing it currently. And I think people are going to start talking about that, even the Michigan faithful, because you're right. He was he was brought in to right the ship. He was brought in to allow them to live the glory of yesteryear, and they have not seen that. And he's been doing it, you know, the first year, a couple of years, he was doing it with other people's players. Now he's bringing in his own, and what do you have to show for it? Nothing against Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, there really is no result outside of a win that is going to... Like, if they play a close game and lose on a last-second field goal, nobody's going to say, well, this was a double-digit underdog in this game, and boy, did they play hard. No. Whatever it is, you couldn't beat Ohio State again. Uh, You know, the game was close, but who cares? You blew it in the end. There might be some coaching decision there. And if they lose by a couple of touchdowns, and this is a rocking chair in the fourth quarter, I mean, this is a referendum week for Jim Harbaugh is what it comes down to. Yeah. It it, it really is for him because – you know, if he wins, then you say, this is what you've been looking for. Now you have something to build off of. And no matter how they lose this game, even though they're not expected to win the game, it's not even Vegas doesn't even expect them to be in the game yeah. uh, towards the end. It's a two-score game uh, at that point. Um, but if he loses it, no matter how he loses it, it's going to be, wow. I mean, this really isn't what we expected at this point of his tenure. And, of course, we have Alabama and Auburn in a game that is – uh, as big as it gets, a few years ago, we remember that Iron Bowl and how much it meant and the way that it ended, one of the great college football games I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, this one means just as much to the landscape of this year's college football and who is going to be the champion as, as any game we've seen this year. No, I, I would agree, and, and there's a whole bunch riding on it each and every year. There's definitely pride riding on it. Another one of those storied robberies, the Iron Bowl, and uh, it, you know, Everyone's talking about the vulnerabilities of that that defense with the new faces at the linebacker position, but I think offensively they have been challenged up front protecting Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts can be his own blocker because he has such escapability, uh, but Auburn can get out to quarterbacks. We saw that versus Jake Fromm a couple weeks ago. Now, Jeff Holland, their best guy as far as uh, sacks and tackles for loss, uh, tweaked something last week. He he was out of that game early versus ULM. We'll see if he's going to be in the fold uh, this week. They desperately need him. You have Russell. You have Brown. They got some big guys and a nice rotation up front on the defense, and they're built defensively similar to Alabama. The the matchups I'm going to be watching, though, very closely, in, in addition to the trenches, Mika Fitzpatrick, remember a couple weeks ago versus LSU, he, he, he tweaked that hamstring. And so going up against Darius Slade, who's been the big play threat down the field for Auburn. Let's see if they test him early in that ball game with Slade. And on the other side, how about Calvin Ridley? You look at the stats for the wide receivers for Alabama, no one's even close to Calvin Ridley. He's the go-to guy for Jalen Hurts. Carlton Davis, pretty damn good defensive back over there for Auburn at the cornerback position. He's got to be matched on up on – Matched up against Ridley. Let's see how that works out for Auburn. And if they can get pressure on, on Hurts 
Uh, he, of course, like most quarterbacks, is not as uh, accurate. And But when he has a, a clean pocket, he's about 75 76% passer. But Ridley is his guy. Let's see if Davis can hold Ridley down and make someone else uh, catch some rocks for Alabama. But it's going to be difficult. And you know Alabama, just like Georgia, when they roll in there with their big stable backs, going to want to run the rock. And Auburn has to bring that same type of tenacity, that same type of production they had versus Georgia in this ballgame. Yeah, I thought that more people would be on Auburn in this game, and I, I actually thought that the number on this one would be uh, closer to a pick 'em than than it was. I think it's uh, it's Alabama minus four and a half in the game, which I mean is understandable. But it, it, Auburn's got all the momentum in the world right now, and and Alabama. I think it's it's funny when you're Alabama and you've got the history that you have, and you haven't lost a game to this point. You know, people tend to, you know, I do this when I ask questions to guests about Alabama, you know, tend to try to find the negative in them because we know the positive. So you sit there like, all right, how is this Alabama team going to compare to some of the other great teams? You know, what is it that's going to stop them? So then the discussion points are always about what they can't do. Mm -hmm. And then it makes people think that they're not as good as maybe they are. I mean, I feel like this happens every year. Well, this is that game where, you know, people can put to rest some of the concerns that they have, especially, you know, with the defense and in the middle of that defense um, because they're going to be tested. I mean, right. and, and this is this is all about uh, an, an, an Auburn offense that can do things to them that they probably don't want to have seen done to them. And that, that to me, is the, the Auburn offense and that Alabama defense. I mean, that's where you're going to look back on this game and, and, and see – the winner come out of that match. Well, Jared Stidham has to play another clean game like he did versus Georgia. That was his best game in one of these marquee games, Clemson, LSU being the other two marquee ones on the docket where he didn't fare well. He didn't have time to throw versus Clemson, of course, 11 sacks. LSU, 20-point lead. They they relinquished that, and he sacked four times in that ball game. Uh, so he didn't have a stellar day throwing the ball in either one. I think he hit 42%. Clemson 35 versus uh, uh, versus LSU. So he has to come out and play like he did uh, uh, versus uh, that, that Georgia defense. And if there's nothing there, just eat it, live to play another day, don't force things. And he's definitely gotten more comfortable uh, behind this offensive line. They've had six or seven different combinations up front, man. I mean, it's been a, a chore to just settle on one combination. they got one cat who's played every position on that offensive line, I think, except for right guard. Uh, so they like what they have up there now. They're going to have their work cut out for them, uh, whether Alabama is, is limping in there at the linebacker position or not. They know they're going to have their work cut out for them. But uh, th- this should be a fun one. Uh, of course, we got one Friday before that, but I can't wait for the Iron Bowl. You're talking about being fired. I'm going to be jacked for that one, baby. Coming up next, the bogus update and Mike Oresco, who is the AAC commissioner. He's got a huge tilt in his conference this weekend. Connecticut, Cincinnati. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> USF and UCF um, on Friday. So we'll talk to him about that coming up next. Keep up with the latest on the show on Twitter at Geo and Jones. Andrew Bogish is back. What is going on, Bogish? Greg, I've got a report that's brought to you by Cremo Shaving Cream. Beards have needs. Cremo Beard Products care for your beard no matter its length. Try Cremo Beard Products available at Walmart and Target. Miami is now second. Clemson switches to third. That's the only change in the top 12 of this week's college football playoff rankings. Alabama and Oklahoma bookend the ACC teams 
Wisconsin remains next in line for a semifinal spot. UCF remains the top group of five school at number 15. The Houston Chronicle says Texas A&M will fire head coach Kevin Sumlin shortly after Saturday's game with LSU, while Chip Keller remains its top choice. Florida reportedly starting exploring other options for Jim McElwain's full-time replacement. And the three Kansas players that triggered that snowflake, Baker Mayfield, uh, have lost their captaincies. Joe Deneen, Daniel Wise, and Dorrance Armstrong wouldn't shake the Sooner QB's hand at Saturday's coin toss. Mayfield eventually cursed across the field and shook little Baker at the Jayhawks. The Oakland Raiders fired defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. Yeah, BJ, man. What about that? That's your buddy. That'd be a rough one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, my mic's not on now. Yeah, that was rough. I hated to hear that noise, but uh, kind of saw the writing on the wall. They have not played well at all on that side. But the, the whole team is in shambles, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, is that going to be the, the way that that pass defense has been playing? I, I can't even imagine. Is a coordinator change going to help that? No, I think player change is going to help. And they've spent a ton of money on that side of the ball and in that particular uh, department of the defense uh, as well. Well, that yeah. uh, that pass defense does not have an interception this season, which confuses head coach Jack Del Rio. We've had our hands on enough balls we should have. We should have uh, plenty in that interception category. Well, maybe they'll get their hands on balls thrown by Paxton Lynch this weekend. He will start <laughs> Sunday for the Broncos instead. So of that's Brock Ken's Osweiler. fault. The fact that uh, they had their hands on the balls and they couldn't they couldn't corral uh, them. Don't blame the messenger. I just Come hit play. Scapegoating Del mm. Rio. Call. Twenty-five players, two coaches reaching the next round of Pro Football Hall of Fame voting. Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis, and Randy Moss among the first-time <laughs> eligible still alive. Leroy Butler, Simeon Rice, and Everson Walls have never gotten this far before. Come on, Everson's getting in, man. In the only NBA game last night, the Lakers climbed out of a 19-point third-quarter hole to beat the Bulls at Staples, 103-94, 17 points, five rebounds, five assists for Brandon Ingram. Kevin Durant went through a full practice yesterday with the Warriors but remains questionable for tonight in OKC because of the sprained ankle he suffered Saturday. Missouri freshman forward and assumed lottery pick Michael Porter Jr. likely done for the year, needing back surgery. Porter Jr. was injured just two minutes into his college debut. On the court last night, the Hall of Fame classic, number 22, Baylor down Creighton, 65-59 for the title. 23rd-ranked UCLA got by Wisconsin 72-70 in the third-place game. AL Rookie of the Year Aaron Judge had his left shoulder scoped on Monday. The Yankees say Judge will be healthy for spring training. And finally, how about some hockey? Angelo sends the puck up. Schwartz over the line to Tarasenko. Cuts it in. Shoots it. Score! Tarasenko with two tonight. 6-1 to St. Louis. 7.39 to play here in the third period. Chris Kerber on Blues Radio. Tarasenko, Vladimir Tarasenko. Two goals and two assists and a fight in an 8-3 route of the Oilers. Greg? All right, Bogus, thanks. And joining us right now is Mike Oresco, AAC Commissioner. Mike, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? morning, Greg, and uh, good morning, Brian, my old friend Brian, and, and nice to talk to you, Greg. Pleasure. Well, nice to, t- nice to talk to you. The pleasure is ours, and this is a good week for you, man. You got a big-time game, a 15th-ranked team in the country at 10-0, and playing a 9-1 and team. It's going to be high-profile on national TV. Uh, you, you must be peacocking a little bit this week <laughs> and walking around feeling pretty good about your conference. 
Well, I do, and, and I have for a while. I think this conference has accomplished a lot over the last four or five years, but I've been waiting for this game for a long time because I really think that the uh, these two teams have all the potential in the world, and both of them have not been good at the same time, and we've been waiting for that day to have this rivalry because, you know, our league doesn't have a lot of natural rivalries. I mean, we have SMU Houston, which is developing, and we have Memphis Cincinnati, and we have the Temple Houston uh, rivalries have developed because of the competitiveness of the team, sort of like the old Dallas Cowboys Redskins rivalry, which really wasn't a natural one, but it developed for various reasons. And and this one's a real one, uh, you know, the war on I four. So it's a, it's a big uh, big weekend for us, but it's also a very frustrating time for me. And I know we'll talk about this. Uh, you know, uh, UCF fifteen in the in the college football poll. Uh, you know, the the committee poll, and very frustrating because our league has accomplished a lot, and yet there's still this perception that somehow our strength of schedule should hold our teams back, and it's uh, something that we just keep fighting. Yeah, speaking uh, of those, can do. speaking of those rivalries, Mike, and always good to talk to you, my friend. And I think, that, matter of fact, the last time I saw you, Gio and I were in Dallas, and uh, it was the weekend, and the Cowboys were playing the Green Bay Packers, and, and we were all there for the national championship game was taking place there, Oregon and and Ohio State. And Gio, this is when you and I and Winfrey were looking for a sports bar, and yeah. I and I run into Mike Oresco at our first uh, stop, and and. And uh, I think that was the last time we, we locked eyes, Mike. So always good to see you and, and definitely talk to you. And I'm glad you have a natural rivalry so we can get away from this manufactured one between UConn and UCF. Uh, this this I-4, war on I-4 should be a good one. And, and you're exactly right. That's where I wanted to go as far as the perception of your league. When you look at UCF and what Scott Frost is able to do, turning that program around from an 0-12 and, and, and season back in, in 2015, winning six games last year and now undefeated, you think if UCF is able to, to get a one-loss USF in this ball game, that that would garner more attention and more respectability for your league? Well, it might, it might Brian, but, but here's, here's the issue for me. Uh, I sometimes wonder, I mean, are people paying attention to our league uh, the media, you know, uh, committee, everybody. I mean, the committee does a good job, and, and I'm not, I don't want to, you know, get, get on the wrong side of that one, you know. But on the other hand, look at what this league has done, and it, look at what Houston did last year against Oklahoma. You know, that final score should have been 40 to 17 if they hadn't had that little fumble at the goal line. Uh, look what they did to Louisville. The only team uh, to stop uh, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield in the last two years has been a team from our league, Houston. And and yet it's like it didn't happen. And we've had multiple top 25 teams each year. We've had two top 10 finishes. UCF destroyed Baylor back in uh, in 2014 in the Fiesta Bowl, and they were 20-point underdogs. You saw what um, uh, Houston did to Florida State in the Peach Bowl a few years ago. They were big underdogs. Uh, they won seven. Houston won seven straight games against uh you know, the so-called P5 teams until this year. Uh, Temple uh, beat Penn State a few years ago, almost beat Notre Dame, uh, played Penn State to a one-touchdown game last year out in Happy Valley. Memphis has had big wins against Ole Miss after Ole Miss had just beaten Alabama. They beat UCLA this year. Uh, you know, we've got 23 P5 wins plus Notre Dame in the past couple of years, uh, including this year. Um, we've had, uh, and that's over a, a three-year period, We've had a lot of competitive losses. 60% of these games we have to play on the road. Uh, I think, you know, the committee often talks about, well, we don't look at the past or we just look at week to week. 
I think you have to take the entire picture because if you're going to talk about our league not being as strong or somehow our league not strength of schedule not being uh, the same as the P5, you got to look at what we've done that, that proves that wrong. And it seems to me it's very obvious what we've done, and we continue to do it. I mean, people forget East Carolina is down right now. But a few years ago, they were one of our better teams uh, when Ruffin McNeil was there. And, in fact, they beat the ACC five straight times, including two wins over Virginia Tech, uh, one of them a week after Virginia Tech had beaten Ohio State. So I think, again, I think this tells you the strength of our conference. And, and when you see a UCF undefeated, and they're really an explosive team, I think they can score on any of these teams, including the top four teams that are going to be picked for the playoff, whomever they are. They can score on them. They've got a great defense. Shaquem Griffin is a wonderful story. And yet, they just don't get the kind of attention they deserve. I was a little disappointed last night that there wasn't time spent in that show. At least I didn't see it. I watched uh, the show uh, about UCF and where they should stand. And, And let's have some controversy. Let's have a discussion about the you know, how the committee is ranking them relative. There's a three-loss, you know, Mississippi State team ahead of them. And uh, I think the the chair said that, that, that uh, Mississippi State's played a challenging schedule. Well, again, I mean, there might be a team, a team that plays a challenging schedule, and it may have four or five or six losses, but do you rank them ahead of an undefeated team, which beat Maryland on the road shortly after Maryland beat Texas, which has been destroying its opponents? You know, your schedule is your schedule, and this is a good conference. You saw what Navy almost did at Notre Dame. How many teams have gone up to Notre Dame this year and gotten obliterated? And not Navy. They were ready to win that game. And Navy at home won 17 straight. When UCF beats Navy at home, that's a significant win. When they beat SMU on the road, that's a significant win. SMU was six points away from Baylor in the fourth quarter, and that was because of a Hail Mary at the end of the half. And that's at, excuse me, I said Baylor. I meant to say TCU. And that's at TCU. TCU has played, uh, you know, um, games that weren't as tough, uh, literally, you know, on the road as opposed, you know, so again, I think you can make a case uh, for our teams, but I just think there's not enough attention paid because of this divide, Brian and Greg, because of the G5 versus the uh, the P5. I don't think there's much question that that, that divide is, is ahead when we have to fight. G. Owen Jones with Mike Oresco, AAC Commissioner on CBS Sports Radio, and when you mentioned that you want more attention paid to the conference, you can you know, talk to guys like us, and you can go on radio shows and do interviews and hope that you know it gets out there. But are there other things that you do? I'm curious from your perspective. Do you send packets of information to the committee members? Do you hound them at their houses? Are you calling them up? What else? What are the, some of the things that you do to try to get more attention for the best teams and, well, yet the best team in, in your conference this year? Well, that's a good point. Again, we do send material to the committee, and they welcome it. They welcome uh, to the to our committee reps. Uh, you don't talk to the committee during the season, and we certainly don't hound them, and we certainly don't try to you know find their addresses. Uh, that's just not who we are, and not what we would do. But we are allowed to, to send information, and uh, and we do, and we try to put you know, our best foot forward. Uh, we also I've done a lot of radio the last couple of days. I've done a lot of radio over the year. I've done a lot of other things to try to, you know, I talk to the writers all the time because I think I have something to talk about. If this were if this were built on sand, that would be one thing, but it's a strong foundation that this conference is built. And I just want to talk to people about what we've achieved and, and what we've done. Uh, when uh, when you look at teams like Houston and, and you see what they did last year and the year before, and then teams, we've also had a multiple uh, group of teams that have, uh, you know, have won games. It's, this is not just a one 
horse league. You know, we've had a lot of teams that have been successful over the first few years, and I think that's going to continue. But, yeah, we do everything we can to promote the league. And, and the other thing we, we do, we try to cite, as I said, facts. You know, I don't you – know, I talk about our players, too, because I think that shows you the quality of this league. For instance, if you, you watch a pro game these days, you'll see Tyler Matakavich playing for the Steelers. You'll see Matt Ioannidis starting on the line for the defensive line for the Eagles. You'll see Hassan Reddick. He was a 13th pick in the draft. And he, these were all on the same Temple team that came within a hair of beating Notre Dame two years ago when Notre Dame was ninth in the country and really could have won that game very easily. They had a couple of defensive backs on that team that are in the NFL. Robbie Anderson, the receiver for the Jets, a terrific receiver, was on that team along with Philip Walker quarterback i mean you you see justin hardy set the all-time ncaa receiving record he's playing for the falcons zay jones broke that record uh this year um jj wharton probably made the greatest catch in college football history against temple it was featured on the nbc nightly news when you look at all the great players we had uh incidentally 15 draft picks this year the big 12 only had 14 and that tells you something too so i keep talking to people about the quality blake Bortles, third pick in the draft you know back in in 14 we've got a lot of great players who've come out of this league and they continue to come out uh we don't necessarily get five-star players we don't need to we get those three stars two stars you know they're coached up they're guys who, who really love to play football they're hard scrabble they don't need waterfalls in the locker room you know they don't need tvs in the locker they don't need all of that and uh you know, this is a league that, that is competitive. Anytime one of our good teams is, is put in a big situation, they generally perform extremely well. And I expect that to happen this year. Obviously, this weekend, I think you'll see a UCF, a UF, UF, excuse me, UF, a UF a team that, you know, South Florida is very good, and that's going to be a real challenge for UCF. It's no foregone conclusion that, uh, you know, UCF is going to be our rep, but they're an outstanding team. Scott Frost done a great job. Charlie Strong with, uh, with, you know, obviously, um, South Florida. And, and then you look at um, Houston, and that's the only loss South Florida has. They're not ranked. I don't understand how they could not be ranked. And their team's ranked ahead of them, who gave up 42 points in a loss to a mediocre team at home, who've given up 50 points uh, in games. Uh, you know, again, uh, USF has only given up uh, 28 points. That's the most, and most of the times, most teams don't even score 20 on them. Uh, they had a 47-16 decisive victory over Illinois. Probably could have scored 70 in that game, shot themselves in the foot a bit. But the truth is, it's not a top Big Ten team, but it's a Big Ten team, and they were totally physically dominant. You know, your schedule is your schedule, but give give USF credit. You know, obviously, Quentin Flowers is a great story. Uh, and that team defensively, the talent on that on that defense is pretty outstanding, as well as, as some great offensive players. So, again, uh, I just want people to pay attention, because I think if they do – I think they'll see how good this league is, how good this league has become. I've hardly mentioned Memphis with Riley Ferguson and the high-powered offense. And Anthony Miller, is there a better receiver in the country? The plays he makes, if you saw the, UC, you know, the uh, UCLA game, and, and every game it seems he has 12 or 14 catches. Uh, you know, Again, some great players all over the league. Um, and I just want people to understand that, that it, it really is a competitive uh, group. And uh, you know, we'll just have to keep uh, preaching it and hope that uh, – you know, I'm happy that the P5, uh, P6 narrative is still alive. And you ask, Greg, what, what else are we doing? Well, the P6 narrative is one. We've branded everything P6. <laughs> I think we've got, at least subliminally, it's in the consciousness of everyone. Uh, we've got three teams in the top 25 this year. We had four over over the course of this year. 
we had five a few years ago. We've had top ten finishes. As long as we continue to do that, I think the, the P6 narrative will be there. And our TV deal is coming up in about a year. That's going to be really critical. If we can get a good TV deal, I think we have further reason to uh, to want to move into that you know that group. And we'll take some steps. We're going to try to figure out a way legislatively to get there. Uh, but we're not going to be uh, we're going to be very aggressive about it because I think this uh, this group deserves it. Mike, thanks for the time this morning, man. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Greg, and thanks, Brian, and, and good luck. And Brian, enjoy you uh, on the on the CBS show. And uh, you know, again, remember our days at CBS uh, Sports Network. And uh, good luck to you. Thanks, and Mike. Greg, thank you. Appreciate Have a great you. Thanksgiving, guys. You, you too, right. buddy. Happy Thanksgiving. And Mike keep Oresco. on preaching. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his answers are longer than your questions, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> Coming up next, we talk a little NFL. Woo! Longest answer in Geo and Jones history. Coming right back. Check us out on Facebook at Geo and Jones. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Your buddy Mike Oresco can talk, man. Yeah, man. I didn't know, like, I didn't know what to do because here I am on remote, and I know he's a friend of yours. And I'm thinking, do I cut him off? I don't want to cut him off and sound like a jerk. And I'm thinking, well, maybe Brian will cut him off because he has a relationship with him. But Pete went back and checked how long his answers were, and the second to last answer he gave was four minutes and eight seconds. And the last answer he gave was five minutes and 17 seconds. I mean, that is hard to do. That's when when you have your talking points down, baby. Oh, my. And he kept going in again. And there was a point where you were laughing. I was laughing. And if we were in the studio together, it probably wouldn't have happened that way. Like, somebody would have stepped up but like i think we were just waiting for the other person to do it i didn't know what to do wow <laughs> there, man. Was, there was no insertion point because it was so seamless i was like yeah oh, when do you get in here yeah it's true you're right <laughs> was someone else trying to talk there that was me yeah. I, yeah greg and he's i think he's actually still going now <laughs> that this conference is built and i just want to talk to people <laughs> no no stop put him down that's my man but damn mike wow <laughs> Oh, he was really upset. Yeah. Really upset about the disrespect of the AAC, that's for sure. Highly upset. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Um, so as I was driving in yesterday, I put on my old station to listen to, Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, and Ben Roethlisberger does a weekly hit with the Midday Show, and he tends to say something every time during that show that makes headlines, and of course he did again yesterday. And I was listening to the hosts talk about it afterwards. So, I mean, I don't know where he's getting this idea that people are saying all the time or there's some sort of collective narrative in sports media that says that Ben Roethlisberger doesn't care anymore. Like, I, I don't. He said himself that he wanted to retire. He said himself, maybe I don't have it. And, like, maybe yeah. one or two people I've heard, you know, maybe Ben, you know, he's getting towards the end of his career. I've never heard that he doesn't care. So uh, he said yesterday, uh, in a way, it's like, wait a second, you're going to take a shot at me and you don't know me? I'm going to go out here and bust my butt every day and be limping with bruises 
and put my body and family through this and not care? You're absolutely nuts. I, I mean, this is a guy who found like one quote from one person and now thinks that the world is saying this about him. I guess if it motivates him, fine. But to me, he sounds ridiculous because he's fighting a fight where no one is fighting him back. Yeah, I, I don't know why he keeps rehashing this. He made the comments. So why wouldn't people, one, question your thirst and love for the game if you put it out there first? They have to do that, and no one has been bringing it up except for you. We watch you play, especially this last ball game, and you've been outstanding. So why do you continue to regurgitate the, 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 those same uh, talking points, which you first gave life to? I don't. Yeah. I don't get it. Why? Why do you need this drama in your life? No one's sitting there questioning uh, how you play or whether or not you want to play. And yes, you have to fight through pain and bruises and all sorts of things. We get that. That's part of the gig. Uh, so there's no way around that, but no one's questioning your toughness. Maybe there's a little voice in his head that says that he needs to do this from time to time to really get his juices flowing. I don't know, but I haven't heard anyone out here discussing uh, whether or not Ben Roethlisberger loves the game. He's playing like he loves it, uh, so why bring it up? Yeah, it was funny because the afternoon guys out here, uh, Joe Starkey and Chris Muller, they were making fun of Ben a little bit because they were talking about that Marcus Gilbert suspension. The Mm -hmm. right tackle was going to be out four games for the uh, substance – well, not the substance abuse, but the performance-enhancing drug suspension. So one of the questions that Ben was asked was, you know, have you ever – tried something for recovery or has there ever been a time where you felt like you needed to use something else yourself and his response was no i don't even put vitamins and minerals in my body (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) yeah you do man yeah like yeah you do inadvertently you do (laughs) yeah if you eat a carrot you got a vitamin in there I mean, what do you? I don't. I don't put vitamins. What? What are you? you a, a, a zombie? Do you drink like, orange juice? Little, little vitamin C? I mean, it's just so over the top. Wow! Like, 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 I don't even know. Not me. I haven't even put. And then he said, "I use melatonin once or twice to try to go to sleep, but that didn't work for me." I'm like, well, just shut up. Are you Gosh. in the sun getting a little vitamin D? No. <laughs> Don't even put vitamins and minerals in my body. Like, no minerals for me, man. No wonder he doesn't have any thirst for the game then. He's low energy. You need right. energy to have that hunger for the game. I know. Get a uh, get a multivitamin in there, Ben. Maybe that'll do it. Wow. Go back to the, the Barney Rubble vitamins or something. I think those I'm, are safe. I'm, just like, I'm picturing, like, his teammates, you know. Hey, Ben, you want to come over here and uh, <laughs> snort some minerals? <laughs> Yo, bro. <No. laughs> Yo, Brohim, check out what I got. <laughs> yeah. Yo, what are you guys doing over there? Oh, we're just popping some vitamin B, baby. <laughs> you want to get in on this? No, no. Are you kidding me? I don't put vitamins and minerals in my body. Yeah, that's crazy. He's taking this uh, Tom Brady diet to a whole new level, <laughs> yeah. man. Well, that's the thing about Ben is he's never been known to be like a super in shape guy right. either. Like, so 
mean, if anything, the guy is is putting the wrong stuff in his body, not too much of the right stuff in his body. But yeah. I listen. The guy's a Hall of Famer, and I don't. I, I sometimes I feel bad criticizing him as much as I do, but I mean, he really brings a lot of this stuff on himself. Right. I, I believe it's warranted because he keeps rehashing this stuff, and no one else is talking about it. And maybe it serves as a source of motivation to him to have drama abounding. <laughs> Yes, drama abounding. Mm. All right, coming up next, the great Houston Nut joins us. Uh oh, the man is always fired up, and we love to talk to him. See about if he can match football. Mike Oresco. No, no, please, <laughs> no, no more five-minute answers. Houston Nut joins us next on Geo and Jones CBS Sports Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 